Look at all the riders. It took one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It took eleven people to ride. It wasn't me. <laughs> Rick Rock needs a sandwich. Yeah. Shaggy may also be Chris Angel. <laughs> There's a good possibility. I can't understand a word he says. Like I played it to, I played his radio version. Yeah. And he's coherent. You can hear the English. I can understand him. Sounds just like my uncle. Is it Chris, Chris Tucker? Part of this? <laughs> yeah. Yo, man, it wasn't me, man. <laughs> Shaggy was saying about it, but me. I don't understand why you're looking at me, Shag. <laughs> I could have been me. I was high at the motherfucking time. <laughs> People are into this. Whoa, Shagwai. <laughs> First of all, at about 120, I think Shaggy throws his hip out. <laughs> if he thrusted that hard with a woman there, he, he would catapult her across the room. I love that Michael Jackson is sitting next to Macaulay Culkin and Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> Two people that have no idea what's happening. Oh, Macaulay Culkin does. Now here's the thing, they're kind of telling him how to testify. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, Michael, if you ever get caught doing anything inappropriate, tell him it wasn't it wasn't me. <laughs> no, it was you, Mike. They they drew your penis. <laughs> Do you remember that? That they said it was particular they the kids had identified it because there was a mole. It was had like it was like colored weird because of his skin. Yeah. Condition. Villa so it was Lager. like a, it, yeah, it was like a, a barber's pole or something. It had, it was like a swirl cone. <laughs> <laughs> it has something. It's just a weird song in general. What year was this? Mm. Like 2098. Was this 98? 97, 96, somewhere around. Is this when it was a hit? When this song first came out? Oh, it was a giant hit. This guy's like, do, what, do I do, what do I do for two minutes at the end of this song? You want me to just say it wasn't me over and over again? You know what I love about this is there's, the, there's this full orchestra up above the stage right here that had to learn how to play It Wasn't Me. <laughs> All these people are like, I am a classically trained cellist, goddammit. Are you kidding me? This I get Shaggy and Rick Rock? No, no, I, I, I can do Tchaikovsky. <laughs> I don't know Rick Rock. When was this? 2000. 2000. Yeah. God, things were pretty cool back then, but they were also the worst. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, I wish I could go back to before we were all so addicted to our phones. But then it was like, yeah, but Chris Angel was popular. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not a good trade-off. You know what I mean? Like, like the black-eyed peas were everywhere. You know, like, sh like shit's always pretty bad. Comedian Marcus, how are you? Sir? Hi, I'm good. Now I'm a lot better now that I watched that. That's <laughs> my favorite inspiring? thing I've seen. What is I and who were all the people that went there? There did you notice there were no black people that yeah. went to that event? <laughs> that was like a bunch of white people go, hey, I know that song. It wasn't me either. <laughs> it wasn't. I was hey, it wasn't my uh, that was that was outrageous. 
Did you see the two 55-year-old men like hand clapping? Oh yeah. They they were they were very um <laughs> excited about it not being them. <laughs> <laughs> they were super about it not being them. <laughs> I saw this video the other day and I was just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. It's outrageous. Yeah. Wait, yeah. How did you come across this video? Did one of those YouTube things. Just, just I was a YouTube hole. Michael Jackson videos. Because on that same show, the 30th anniversary of Michael Jackson, it's the first time he moonwalks since that whole thriller thing. And like he puts on the white gloves. It's Billie Jean. Yeah. yeah. And it was just, so that's where, and then like the next video was this. And I was like, you're out of your fucking mind. Shaggy, Shaggy's a weird guy. Yeah, all of that is weird. I mean, the fact that Michael's just like, bring out everyone I love to perform for me. I'll sit here with Elizabeth and Macaulay. You're like, no. You know, I mean, that's the thing is we, is like Michael, rest rest his soul, he was an an unbelievable entertainer. I mean, when you look back, when like we were young, right? People, I can say that now. It's like when I was young, Michael was the baddest motherfucker. Like they used to shut down TV so they could air his premiere his videos you remember that and they'd show like the 30 minute version of uh you know yeah whatever black and white or whatever he was doing and um what was that remember the time the one yeah. with eddie murphy eddie <laughs> come here michael what you doing hello there come here what you doing trying to take my wife that's hilarious um <laughs> but it was i used to but now it's like then there's just a whole generation of people who only remember him for being a fucking weirdo yeah. And shit like this doesn't help. <laughs> just sitting there, just oh, that's like when he comes out, you see Michael. Where can, by the way, tell people where they can find this? I don't know what. Yeah, we'll put it at earholemedia.com under the OU Radio feed. You can find it there. Of course, you can find it on YouTube. Type in Michael Jackson, Shaggy. Wasn't me. Thirtieth anniversary. Yeah, it's probably easier to go to your site. It's the longest. And Michael Jackson. It wasn't me. Shaggy featuring Rick Rock. Elizabeth Taylor was there, and Macaulay Culkin too, I believe. And Chris Tucker showed up for a minute. Hashtag Chris the, Tucker. But one of the best things about the video was how giddy Michael Jackson was when they start. He goes, "I love this song." And yeah. You're like, "Do you?" <laughs> you shouldn't. You shouldn't love it. I love it. It's, it speaks to me. It shouldn't. <laughs> Weirdo. <laughs> So you got a show October fourth, Wise Guys West. Oh Valley. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for that. Yeah, Tell us about that. Well, you know, I um, I never, I never wanted to do, I never really wanted to do my own podcast. Like I've been on podcasts and stuff, and I, I, I don't mind talking when other people like want me to talk. But I always, I always felt like I wouldn't want to just go out there and be like, and now I'll talk. And you, you know, it just wasn't my thing. And then Guy, um, my good friend guy Seidel, fellow comedian uh, i've worked with him for God, almost almost eight eight years now and uh he had a podcast where he would interview people with interesting jobs and me and um alan handy from k-bear uh came on one day and we just did an hour about music and it really clicked and so we decided to uh make it the permanent thing so we've been doing this dirt pod podcast which has just been a bunch of 30 pluses sitting around complaining about how shitty music is today and and it, it's pretty fun like it's been a lot of fun and we've we we're doing it live on stage coming up um next week it might be the best podcast in utah in my opinion no yeah really yeah and i no. i listen to a lot of them i've heard a lot of That's... them i work with a lot of podcasts on earholemedia.com but the dynamic that the three of you have and the content that you guys are providing you don't hear it anywhere else and it's funny it's unique it's phenomenal 
So oh, there's your cheap plug. Well, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm surprised anybody, you know, anytime when somebody does something, when they go, you know, oh, we were listening. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forget that like people can actually listen to this. I think it's I think it's flattering if people take time out of their day to listen to us yeah. complain about music. <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's been a lot of fun and we we have pretty eclectic tastes so it's like you know we'll go from talking about the new Slayer album to Taylor Swift to NWA to somehow Mark Wahlberg in one direction. In one one direction, <laughs> it's the craziest thing. We have a pretty uh yeah, it's a pretty interesting podcast. Well, it's going to be fun to do it on stage because We'll be able to an- answer questions from people who want our opinions about certain things or top fives. We do a lot of that. Like, what's your top five best album from beginning to end or top five debut album or top five uh, band that's overrated? You know, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's the type of stuff that you'd sit around with your buddies and drink some beers or whatever and uh, just bullshit with your How friends. it sounds, yeah. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. But you... but. You know, Alan Handy being there, who's been in the radio business for 20, 25 oh my years. God, right. Like, you have that authoritative figure. Yeah. And then you have two of the star comics in Utah, and you guys travel a bit. And so there's an authority and an ownership that you guys can take and use. And most podcasts don't have that because the really talented people are on radio or television, right? <laughs> no, seriously. Oh, that's very Podcasts nice of you to say. Podcasts are generally for people that A, haven't made it, or B, are interested in media and wanting to carry forward, or they're megalomaniacs and... They want to just psycho. pontificate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always worried about that. Yeah, I, 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 like talk, I like doing a podcast that has nothing to do with what I do. You know, I mean, I love music. I'm a huge music fan. I've always been in music. I've been in bands. I've done stuff. I've written. I've, I love music. And uh, we do a little bit. We do actually do music in the in the in comedy now. We've mixed it. But to just be able to sit around and talk about it is something fun. So we were talking to a comic, and he brought up the idea that every comic should have a podcast <laughs> because it's so good for their career just to be in front of a mic. To it's a great promotional tool. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I guess it really depends on the person and depends on the dynamic of the podcast. I mean, I can speak for myself that, you know, it's, I don't think a podcast should be an open mic. I don't think it should be like, oh, I, I, th- I thought of a bunch of ideas this week. Let me try them out on the podcast. That's just my personal opinion. I, I, what do I know? I don't mean to speak that I, what I'm saying is right. But for me, like that would be one of the problems with a podcast for me is if I did a podcast where I was commenting about stuff that I was going to try out on stage i don't know i i feel like it would be like a I, it would cheapen the experience for the listener because they'd be hearing me practice rather than hearing me be organic which i feel is what we do because i'm not really looking to make jokes i'm just looking to talk about stuff i i, I usually don't get to talk about yeah so i like that you love music i do you know obviously people are selling 30 40 million records getting hundreds of thousands of downloads so music's a very popular thing but you take the time to study it and to do homework on it and read every music catalog. Why? You know, for me personally, it's always been amazing when you can find uh, someone who takes the time to pour themselves into what they do. And I think that that kind of translates in all my loves, comedy, movies, film, music, I really, as, as somebody who gets up on stage and who has worked for the last 10 years to try and strip away as much of, of the cliches of, of 
comedy, the cliches of who I am and, 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 and who we are as people and trying to get down to just being honest and silly and funny about things that I genuinely want to talk about. Um, I find that, that I do that because I've, I've grown up respecting the people who did that. You know, I, I look back and I go, you know, I've liked a lot of music. I have purchased a lot of CDs. I've downloaded a lot of songs and watched a lot of movies, but the ones that stuck with me, they came from people who made them from a real place and 10, 15, 20 years removed. I can still listen to it and get that same connection that I had with it. I can still listen to Soundgarden's bad motor finger and it can put me in a place. I can listen to the 13th step by perfect circle, which takes me to a very specific time in my life when I was dealing with certain stuff and I can feel that. And it was because somebody took the time to write something that didn't tell me how to feel. It allowed me to find my own response to it. Um, the best movies, the best music, even the best comedy does that. It's not da 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 fart. It's I'm going to say something. I might say something else. I might say something else. And you're going to realize that it's a layer. It's a built-in thing. And by the time I've got you here, I'm already putting you here. You know, great, great writers like the Marx Brothers, where you're laughing so hard, you miss five jokes because it's this. You know, that way of, of structuring something so well that people don't really realize that you're saying it for the 90th time, the 100th time, the 500th time. For all they know, you're riffing this entire hour, conversating with them. And that's what a great movie should do, or a great music, uh, a great artist should be able to speak to you. And when they say that, it's not, it's, it speaks to me. No, it, 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 it converses with me. A movie challenges me, and I'm, it asks me questions that I'm answering internally. Great songs uh, come with that, that emotional hook as well, where you hear it, a great artist, a great voice, a great thing beats, drops, stuff like that, they come, they go. But a great song, a great CD, something that stays with you, it's because it 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 had a, an emotional investment, both from you and from the writer. And that's why I think I, I've always taken the, the the time to really respect somebody who who's done that. Really, it takes the time to strip away layers and give me something that, that allows me to, that, that, that gives me credit and says, you know what, you're smart enough to figure this out. I'm going to say I'm looking California and I'm feeling Minnesota, and I'm going to let you translate that into what you think that means. And, I'm, and I go, that's awesome, because when I'm 15, it means this, and when I'm 21, it means this, but now as I'm, almost, as I'm getting to be 40, it means something entirely different. And, and it's cool when, when a movie, a, fi a film, a, a song, especially a joke, can age with you and can, can change perspective and emotional content based on where you are in your own life. And so I think that, that uh, that's the long rambling answer. You, you talk a lot about stripping away these past 10 years. Like how ex have you had any like milestones that have like where you've been able to like kind of calculate when you did strip it away or like what, what, what was that process like? I, you know, it's growth. It's, it's this perspective that you get, you know, it's like you don't realize that you're older till you're older. When you're 25, you, you can't really identify with being old because you, you haven't seen it yet. You haven't, really, you haven't really felt your opinions change. You're just blossoming into the world. The people below you, a uh, 13-year-old kid, hey, kid, you know, uh, you, whatever. When you're my, I'm, I'm almost 39, and when you start getting close to 40, it's entirely different because people who are kids are children. People who are 22 are still children. Uh, you know, you, you look at it, and instead of being so brash about being where you are in life, you're kind of more in that... Ah, uh, you'll see. You know, you'll you'll find out. You'll see how it is. You know, and there, you kind of get to this point where you where you realize uh, the stuff you like isn't what everybody else likes anymore. And and 
Uh, you know, I got to this point, I'm a big movie fan, and a lot of my friends couldn't take this when this happened to me. I'm a huge movie fan, and I got to a point where I just stopped liking movies. I haven't been to a movie yeah, in a long mm-hmm. time. I, I used to go, there was a year, back in the 90s, when, uh, when I, I worked at Movie Buffs. Uh, I worked at uh, a, a couple movie stores, um, and I loved it. I loved working it. I was like clerks, man. I worked at Sam Goody and Musicland, oh, Media the Play. the ego of you fuckers at Blockbuster and stuff, too. <laughs> Well, I never worked there. I worked at the movie buffs over and it was like an independent. It was like Empire Records, that movie, you know, Mm -hmm. and we were a bunch of film geeks. And I remember sitting around in like 94, 95 watching Clerks and watching um, El Mariachi and watching, uh, you know, Reservoir Dogs and these movies. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. These movies, these underground films with a bunch of people. And it was really cool to be able to do that. And I used to go to movies. I remember there was one year where I, I remember accounting. I saw almost 300 movies in a theater that year. I would go to multiples in a day. There was a day when I saw the four-hour version of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet and then two other movies on the same day. Like oh, I, wow. I was a movie addict. And then over time, I realized that I... And this is something that, that I think happens to a lot of people is you realize that the people that are making the things that you are supposed to love don't love them as much as you do. You know, you see a lot of these geeks who get mad when you say, no, I don't like that last movie or whatever. And they go, how dare you? That means you don't like comic books. And they say, no, 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 no. That means that I like this stuff so much that I expect more from it. I like Transformers. I love that property. I thought that was so cool. I like it better than the movies they're giving me. So I don't have to like those movies. I like comic books, but I, I think that the movies they're giving me is the same movie over and over again. It's, the, it's a superhero fights a faceless enemy of countless numbers, and then a blue light shoots up in the sky, and a, and a, and a time dimension happens, and, and then a crystal. Who gives a shit? That's, that, I don't care. I'm not supposed to care. I'm a 40-year-old man. I care about the shit I want to care about. So every once in a while, something will come along, and I'll give a shit about it. And I'll either, be, I'll either like it or I won't, and I'll move on. But that's, it sucks to me, you know, that like you kind of get to a point where your, your tastes become more discerning and you get to this, they call it, you know, getting grumpy. It's like, no, I just, I like the shit I like just because, you know, I've heard you like it doesn't mean I have to watch it. I'll, I'll get into it if I want to. And, and so for me, like that editing process kind of becomes with that as you get older, it's, it's, you're not as brash. You're, you're what you do. You edit yourself even more, you know? Um, like there's things that I look back on from even five years ago. I go, I can't believe I said that on stage. That seems inappropriate to say, not because I'm not dirty. I'll say curse words or whatever I say on stage, but because the, the, I don't know, the, the brashness of that comment would be not in keeping with where I am in life. And so you start finding yourself, uh, being more honest about yourself getting older and, the perspective of your comedy and the perspective of where you are and what you like changes because instead of saying, Hey man, Tinder and Snapchat and things that are now I'm going, you know, things to me were this, this is, and I, and try to speak to it on a level of, of being outside of it rather than being in it and being it being part of it. You're now an older spectator kind of commenting on the world of, of the pop culture that you used to know and love. But you have no fear of putting yourself into a vulgar situation. I've seen you open for Jim Norton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love com- situations like that. As a, as a comic who, who lives here in Utah, I've formed uh, an amazing relationship with Keith Stubbs and, and Wise Guys. I, I feel like I'm part of a family over there rather than just a, a, one of the comics. I've been doing comedy there for a decade, and it's not hard to feel protective and, and, uh, 
and and love that place. I mean, I really club. do. It's a great club. It's one of the best clubs in the in the country. And guys who come through, they say that. And I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of people because when I see him announce, hey, you know, David Tell's coming or or fucking who else? Brian Posehn, Jim Norton, uh, Jim Brewer, all the Trace people, that, tr- all these people that are coming through. And I've said. I'll shoot him an email and say, hey, man, if you need someone, I will be here that weekend. I would love to work with these guys. And to me, going out, I love opening. I love being the first guy. Not the not the, the middle set. Give me the host set. Because I'm going up to a crowd that's not there to see me. They're cold. They're expecting something. If I can go up to a cold crowd and not swear in front of, you know, and I'll even try that. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go do a clean set in front of Norton's crowd mm-hmm. to try and make me a better person, try and make me a better comedian, I should say. Um, or I'll go up and I'll try, you know, I'll be the only white comic on an all black show. I like that. I like the challenges of saying, look, it's not about what we are or who we are. It's about connecting on a, on a, on a human level. I mean, that's really what a comic does is he says, I'm going to make you feel something. Uh, I'm going to have, make you have an emotional reaction on command one, two, and bam, you know, boom, I'm going to when to laugh. I know when this is time that it's going to make you laugh. And when I say right now, and you're going to laugh for this long. I know how long this laugh is. <laughs> I know how long this beat is. Cause if it's any shorter, it throws me off. And I know that I know it like science, but I'm making you feel something. And that's, that to me is is you know if I can make somebody feel something when they're already geared to, to to feel something else that's amazing I love that I love I love setting energy reading energy connecting with people you it's that's amazing it? do you uh, study it energy yeah well I mean it's part of your job yeah I mean as, yeah. as much as I can and and to be fair with the paranormal stuff that I do I mean it's it's really the same thing I mean I think that that what I do translates for the for anybody who doesn't I do a, a ghost hunting show on YouTube. I, I got into the paranormal a few years ago and it's, it's a lot of fun, but to me, it's, it's exactly the same thing. My job is to stand on a stage in the dark and connect, uh, you know, and c- converse, uh, conversate with a group of people that I can't see no matter how far away they are. You know, I got an opportunity to open for Chappelle, uh, the, not this last time he was just here, but the time before at a Brevenel hall at a Bravenel, I walk out, there's 2,500 people, whatever that seat and I had to make sure I felt that dude in the back row. Yeah. I don't know how, but you feel that. And so I translated that over into what I do in the paranormal. You know, it's the same thing. I connect with energy. I mean, the, the essence of who we are, I think, is what we exist afterwards. So, I mean, the idea of what energy is to me is fascinating. Um, you know, I, I believe it's very real. And I think that, that most people, even if you don't believe in ghosts, you believe in energy. So, you know, that's my gig, whether it's on stage in front of people or whether it's in the dark by myself my job is to connect with energy and to make it, you know, to read it, to understand it. And I'm, you know, I think that's one of the, that's one of the, the best things that a comic can have is the ability to read a room on command, just sit in the back and just soak it in and go, that's that. Okay. It's this kind of room. Okay. I can read it. I can feel it. And just understanding that vibe. I mean, it's, it's the mo- one of the most vital things a, a comedian can do. So, so when you're writing jokes and stuff, do you think about the audience when you're writing it or do you kind of write what you feel and then try to, make the audience meet you there like how does that work yeah i mean i think that you have to consider your audience in the sense that you don't you know you don't necessarily i I guess understand your audience you know i was going to say like i wouldn't necessarily write a joke that was just like 
C-bombs and, you know, this and this, because I'm not that dude. I guess if your crowd expects you to be that guy, then by all means. But yeah, you should consider, I, I, I don't know. I mean, never write for your audience, but I mean, you don't want to go out there and write something that's completely out of character for you. But at the same time, if you're writing from a true place, then you shouldn't write out of character in the first place. So you kind of police yourself on that. But I think honestly, if you found your voice, if you found who you are as a, as a, as a person, which would translate into who you are as a comic, who you are as whatever. But once you kind of have found that, then you'll understand the voice, you know, you'll understand where that person comes from. My wife, uh, is a professional wrestler and well, she, she does the local stuff here. She's done some stuff with, with, uh, she got the chance to do a WWE raw and a SmackDown. She's really cool. And we talk about in-ring motivation when you're doing something that you can't you can't talk about. And so we talk, we talk about this theory that we have about motivation, that everything in life is about the motivation. Like, what's your motivation? Actors ask that all the time. But what's your motivation? And you should ask yourself that. What's my motivation in writing this joke? Is my motivation to get a, a gasp? Is my motivation to get, uh, to, to shock them? Is my motivation to tie this joke with this joke and to, you know, to segue something into something? Is this a closer? Is this an opener? Um, you know, what is your intention with any of the stuff you do? Um, that's why, you know, a lot of times, you know, people go, well, you know, should I swear on stage? Well, yeah, there's a difference between having fuck be a punchline and just going, I was uh, fucking walking down the street and this fucking car passed me and I was like, fucking, that's not, that's not, there's no motivation for that. It's just you using a word for the sake of using it. So, you know, it, I, I love that. I love the idea of motivation because you're writing in, for the benefit of the person you are on stage, you're saying, you know, because we're, we're kind of us, but we're not. We're like an exaggerated, we're us two turned up to 11, right? And that's really what we are. We're a little more brash. We would say things on stage that we might not say at a dinner party. Even though our opinions might be the same, we might soften who we are a little bit because society deems that correct. But once we have a mic in our hand, we're a little more bulletproof, a little more, but at the same time, we're not so much not us that we shock our audience. You know, it's like that thing where you see a, like a comic lose it on somebody and the audience goes, oh, the wall has been broken. They're not so happy. Now we have to work to build this back up again. We want to make sure that we, we, uh, we understand where we're coming from. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, th I think what it does is, is all of that is, is tied in. When, when, you're motivate, when you're writing from the right motivation, then you should be centered as a human being. If you're centered as a human being, then you should be being able to see your life for what it is and taking it in. And once you've done that, then you can see the things that come along that are humorous and then find the funny in those things. I always tell people that. In the beginning of comedy, we always say, like, what's funny? Let's talk about that. But once you've been on stage for a long time or you're, you're doing 90 minutes a night or something at a college... It's not about like what, what's funny. It's about what do I want to talk about and then finding the funny in that so that what's coming out of me is all me. It's, it's 100% my opinions. And, and I, can, I, can, I can connect with you because there is emotion and honesty behind what I'm saying and that should connect with you as a person. And then again, it's just all part of that motivation. If you're writing from the right place, then you should be able to say it from the right place. And if you're saying it from the right place and you're feeling what you need to feel, then you should be able to connect. And it sounds a lot more sciencey and hippie than it really is. It's, but I mean, when you do it, it's like this instantaneous kind of, that's the vibe, that's the groove, that's who I am on stage. And, and that fits in perfectly. I've had jokes that I've written that I'm like, that's not me. It's too harsh. And I've given them to guy or I've said, I've given them to another comic and said, here, I, I could never say this on stage.
you know. So yeah, I mean it's 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 honesty, I guess. It's honesty and 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 understanding who you are and and more importantly who you're not anymore. Were you a brash kid growing oh, yeah. up? Because mm-hmm. you have a confidence of a man who has stumbled or seen a lot in this mm. world. Where you know, as you said, you're in, in your thirties and you. It, it looks like you're starting to reflect back on your twenties. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. I I had a really bad. Uh, teenage years. Um, Me too. My, you know, my parents are the two sweetest people in the world, and I, you know, I was adopted, and I dealt with that a lot. And it's funny now because you look back and you go, you know, it, it, I was making such a big deal of it, and I, I had these these identity things. I was born in Costa Rica, so I, I had Latin blood, but I really, I grew up. My parents are like the two sweetest, nicest white people you've ever met, and so I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't really have any ethnic. I didn't feel like I needed to. You didn't have an identity. There wasn't, well, there wasn't like a need to have one in the sense of ethnicity until I got to like middle school and I started seeing like all like the Mexican kids hanging out and the, you know, the Latin kids were all together and I, and they were like, what are you? And I was like, I don't, I don't know, I'm just this kid. And so I got into a lot of trouble, had to go to a few different high schools and then, you know, you, you get out of high school and you kind of try to figure your life out. And, um, I got into a band. I got into drugs. I got into a lot. I mean, I was a I was a bad, bad, bad drug addict for a while. And and I got I I woke up one day, and I just said, I mean, I I was smoking two packs a day. I was like, I was drinking a case of beer every night, try to come down. I, I I liked cocaine. That was my thing. And I woke up one day. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. I'm done. And I quit drinking, smoking, and cocaine. I haven't touched a drug, a cigarette or, or, a, I mean, I've had a, I'm not, I don't view myself as like, I can't take a beer. I've had a beer. I've had a thing, but I don't drink. I've never had a night of drinking since then. It's been 12, 12 years or something. No, 12, 11 years. Yeah. Cause it was right before. And then I, I was really happy. I was in this place where I was like seeing life for the first time without it being clouded. And that's when I found comedy. Uh, I kind of stumbled into doing call-ins and voices for Mick and Allen on the radio and I did that for about a year, year and a half. And uh, then I would meet comics. And one day somebody said, you're funny. You should come meet Keith. Come down to the club. And I went down there and just did some of my stuff. And he goes, you're funny. You want two minutes? I'll give you two minutes on Sunday. How old were you? It's 10 years ago. It was 2005. And I'd been, I'd been clean for a couple years. And I mean, I was, I, was, you know, I was just at this place where I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no real idea. And I, th- I went and I did comedy one night. He gave me a Sunday. I did three minutes. And people laughed at what I said. And like, it was me, you know, it wasn't the band. It wasn't me trying to be a sexy front man. It wasn't me trying to hide behind anything. It was me saying something that I had thought of and it, it just clicked. And I, back then the wise guys was open like six nights a week. You could go there uh, just about any night. There was something going on. And I was there every night, every night. If there was a headline, I sat in the back. If he asked me to do time, I did time. They would tell me stuff like, you can do five minutes tonight, but you can only come back tomorrow and do five minutes if you bring another five minutes. You can do, you know, and they used to push me and I, I loved it. And I realized that you can never be inhibited. You can't, I can't be drunk. I can't be high. Well, I can't be, <laughs> I can't be on drugs and do my job well. I can't be uh, impaired and do my job well. And, and I, don't, I can't have that connection, not only with an audience, but in my life. And so comedy's really been a way to, you have to be honest about it or you won't last. You, you have to constantly be growing and constantly be moving. It's not just about writing. It's about evolving as a person. If you evolve, your writing evolves and you evolve and the process evolves and it comes out of you. You know, your opinions, your perspectives all change. 
you know, so it's so been nice getting older and take being able to take Take me to that. this moment. Okay. Mr. Key Stubbs says, Marcus, you got three minutes. Mm-hmm. You go outside of Wise Guys and pump your fist and go be like, oh my God, I got three minutes. And then there's two decisions here for you. It's, I, Marcus, am going to go home. I'm going to practice this stuff. I'm going to write it out. I'm going to rip it up. I'm going to get mad at myself. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to have my friends, my loved ones listen to it. Or was it you? Fuck, I got three minutes. I'm going to show up and kill it. <laughs> um, You know, in the beginning, I, I kind of grouped together. I, I, was, I was mostly impressions. And the reason why is because... Um, you're gifted at it. Well, I can, I can do, I can do voices, and I've always, I've never been shy about it. And I used to um, use them with my friends or at jobs. I, I worked at PC laptops for a long time, and I used to. People would would ask me to do voices in the middle of their cells because it would make people laugh and put, you know, or whatever. And so I'd answer the phone as walking, or and people we used to do things like at work when it was boring. They'd go, "Hey, do a." Uh, Star Wars, but starring, and they'd name people. And so a lot of my original bits were stuff that I had done for friends, finding that, that this was funny and I could, I could reference that. And so I would group together those kind of bits. And in the beginning, a lot of mine was like, you know, I did like this Star Wars starring black actors. I did Adam Sandler as Jesus. Like it was a lot <laughs> of that kind of stuff. What if this guy was this thing? Um, and I, I used to get a lot of shit about it because people thought that it was just a gimmick you know, like a ventriloquist or, or whatever. It was just you. And so, I mean, I actually got really in my head about it and I stopped doing voice, especially after Last Comic, because once I got on Last Comic, that's what they wanted. You know, I remember on my audition day, I went in and I tried to audition with just straight stand-up and I did a stand-up set and they go, you know, that's good, what else you got? And yeah. I said, well, I do this. And they said, what else you got? And so I said, well, I do voices. And they said, show us some. And so I just rambled some off. They went, that's good, come back this afternoon and do that. And I said, all right. They said, we don't have one of you yet. I was like, all right, well, I guess oh, a tattooed wow. impressionist from Salt Lake makes good TV, and that's my goal is to get on this show, so I'll give them what they want. So my first audition was basically just voices. And even my, my first audition was funny because I did an audition, and they didn't show it. They just Afterwards, Fred uh, Willard, by the way, who I had to audition for, the, one of the funniest men on earth, he goes, what else do you do, young man? And I kind of rattled some other stuff off that weren't jokes. They were just voices, and that's what they showed. And so all these comedy websites were like, this guy doesn't have any jokes. He's just the th everything that's wrong with comedy. So by the time I got to the semifinals when I wanted to do something, I decided to not do any voices. And they came up to me afterwards, and they went, you, you scrape by with skin in your teeth because you got a stand I got a standing O, and they couldn't deny that I did well. Yeah. But they said, bring the voices back. That's what we have you for. Wow. And every time yeah. we would do these interviews, man, they would bring me on and they'd go, what'd you think of today? And we'd have to go, oh, it was great. We went to this car wash and they'd go, and they'd listen to me and they'd go, what did Adam Sandler think? What did, and I was like, at some point I went, you guys, this is all that they're thinking I do. Is, is this. so Hollywood. And so yeah. I, would, I would have to do, and they'd go, we won't use it. We won't use it. And I was like, whatever. All right. And I was just really worried. And that's, that's why, like, the last couple sets I did, I really mixed it up because I, I thought if I'm going to be on this show and then they're going to kick me off and I'm not going to do anything, I want to at least show people I'm not a one-trick pony. And then when we got on tour, I did almost entirely stand-up. I, I didn't do anything we did on the show. And I dropped a lot of those bits. And for about two, three years, I didn't do any voices at all because I just, I wanted to prove to people, like, you know, that I wasn't, that this wasn't me. I mean, I had this conversation. I don't want to name drop. This sounds so stupid, but I was sitting in the back room um, one time when Jay Moore was there and we were doing voices mm -hmm. and um, 
he was like, I was, he was like, why don't you do that on stage? And I was like, I, cause I was doing Dane Cook for him. I think I was doing my Dane Cook voice. And he's like, just go do that. And I'm like, but yeah, but then it's going to make fun of you. Yeah. But yeah, but then it's like, it's then not organic. I'm just Dane up there Cook. going, what if this guy is a this thing? And he's like, who gives a shit? It's a good voice. Go do it. So it was, it, and to me, like being a guy who's always been very, you know, into songwriting or film writing or structure or the narrative of, of editing a show or whatever we're doing, I'm very into story. So I never wanted to just be like, hey guys, what if Dane Cook was a librarian? You know, <laughs> so I wanted to find a way to present voices again that was organic. And that's kind of how we got into writing the music show was finding a, a way that nobody had done voices before in long form. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we kind of brought it back around, but it took me a long time because I got really self-conscious about doing it because it, to me, in my head, it was just, uh, it was a, it was easy. You can do Christopher Walken and you can kill in front of 5,000 people. It doesn't matter. But that's is the, that a cheapened moment for me? That's the unfortunate thing about growing up as a human being is in your twenties, you're going to surround yourself with people that you think are their, your friends. Mm -hmm. And but really, what they're trying to do is sabotage you from becoming a better human being. Yeah, and it, it fucking sucks. Like every person's male, female, other, they, everyone's gone through that. Yeah, and you know, at some point, if humans want to continue, we're gonna have to change that mold and encourage and embrace each other's right. championships. You know, I've always thought that same thing. Like, you know, if if there really are other other. And you have to kind of assume that there are in this vastness of everything. Other planets that have managed interplanetary travel that can fly and zip around the universe in saucers. You have to assume that they did it as a planetary civilization. That it's not like, you know, oh, the USA has a spaceship now. Like, it's going to be like Earth has a spaceship, right? And we're not going to be able to do anything about it until we all figure it all out. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just so silly that we're all out here all by ourselves and yet we still find ways to separate like we're separated from the nearest anything by hundreds of thousands of dead cold uh, you and know we're gonna spend our whole economy on college football and professional football and we're just gonna yeah. we're just gonna hate each other yeah. we're gonna find more ways to separate <laughs> ourselves and hate each other and it's stupid you know I, that's I don't know. That's just, that's just, I'm with you. We all need to kind of figure it out. And that's one of the cool things about the, the scene now in Utah. Like I'll go to these open mics and there'll be 25 young, hungry, talented, uh, motivated comics that they're all buds. They're all hanging out. Like what dude, one of the guys just got married last week and I saw the pictures and like every comic was there. Like they're all friends. And to me, that's really cool because that creates like this, this pool of creativity that I really feel like benefits these young comics because they're able now, especially now, where there's podcasts and YouTube channels and Twitter and Snapchat and Vine, there's a thousand ways to be funny. So having those guys kind of all come together to kind of edit each other out, there's some guys who are really funny and they have video stuff and they bring the other guys on to do their video stuff and then this guy's really good at that. Like, it's really cool to see, and I'm really proud of the scene now because it, they're really, really good, and it's a it, it represents this town really, really well. You'll hear comics that come, you know, that are features on Open Anthony, and they'll come to you, and when they leave and go back to New York or to Boston, they'll talk about Wise Guys, and they'll talk about the comedy and scene and say, it's underrated. It's really fucking good. Yeah, yeah. People, I, I know I, you know that. But. Well, I think people, you know, they still have that, Oh, Utah, they don't yeah. swear oh, and they don't drink and there's no beer after nine. 
And then they get here and they have four of the best shows I've ever had. You know, I've been able to work with guys like Bill Burr or Dave Attell, Harlan Williams, Tom Green, you know, Jim Brewer, these guys that come through here and you just hear them show after show just kind of going, oh my God. Like I saw Bill Burr get four standing ovations in a weekend. And he should. And he should. And having, having, and he was just like, God, these crowds that are, you know, they come out and they allow people to be funny. They're really, really good. And they're really thankful, even though we're, we're not, we're not a podunk town, but people feel that way because all the big shows go to Vegas or Denver, not to Utah. Well, we still get big stuffs, but they're grateful. Like when Joe Rogan came through, oh my God, those people were coming out of the woodwork. Kevin Smith came through. People were like packed in there. They couldn't believe that this was happening at Wise Guys. But that's the kind of shows that week in and week out. And, and you go over there and you might look at that wall and go, I don't know who these guys are. All right, well, guess what? You will in two years when they're back here doing... A lot of those people that came through last time, Hardwick, last time Hardwick was here, yeah. Wise Guys. Where is he next time? Kingsbury that's how it happens. You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy how, how comedy works like that. That's think about that, man. Like you can't go see like a movie this weekend and then see those people doing scenes from the movie on, on stage later sometime. No, but comedians, like fucking how many people sat and I mean, Joel McHale was just here. Like you can watch him every week. Did you go see him? Aziz did, came through here. Louis been through here. Like, I mean, there's, aside from, I think, maybe Seinfeld and Cosby, well, <laughs> Cosby may have came through, I don't remember. <laughs> but no, I mean, there, there's very few people who aren't, who are like too big to do, Wise Guys in A Club, so it's really cool to to, to be able to go in there and and, uh, and watch dudes like do that. And then like, yeah, they leave, David Tell went, and that's like, he was on Rogan's podcast or something. He told him how good it was. Bill Burr blew up wise guys when he was here. And then Rogan called and was like, Hey, I heard the club's awesome. We want to do a show. Fuck. Yeah. Word of mouth. That's amazing because the people in Utah are that goddamn good. Like they come out. I'm surprised, man. I've been doing comedy here for 10 years. I mean, yeah, I tour, I do comic, you know, comedy colleges and stuff like that. Around I think the country. Salt Lake, just the community, like it's hard to generalize, but there's a lot of, funny people in this town that Love. aren't comics. Exactly. Like I, have, I have tons of friends that are funnier than comics. They're just aren't going to write shit out. They're going right. to get drunk and fucking tell you to fuck off. And right. It's hilarious. There's a, there's a sense of humor, I think, that, yeah. that comes with this. And and having, having like, I, I perform all over. And yeah. the, the crowds here are no shit. Some of the best. Yeah. Some of the, I mean, absolute best, absolute best people, like genuine people. Maybe that has something to do with like Utah people. They're genuine and they'll legitimately let you do your job and be funny. I mean, yeah, you get drunk dicks every once in a while, but they're everywhere. Yeah. For the most part, though, people here, you don't have to worry about them. They're super, super cool. and They're supportive and they love you. And and uh, we love them back. I, I, I love being a Utah. I love performing here. Do you have aspirations of New York? L.A., Chicago. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. I've I've performed, you know, those plays. The but you know, it's like there's a, there's a. I wasn't the guy when Last Comic ended that was like, I need to get to L.A. and get myself an an agent because I need to get in movies. You know, like I have a pretty specific look. I'm a pretty specific guy, and um, I wanted to kind of do what I you know sculpt myself and and figure out who I was. I mean, there. I, I'm sure that if I had gone to LA, things you know might have been different for who I am, but they could have been different for the worst. You know, I could have. Uh, it's it's a different scene out there. You know, you go out there and you do ten minutes and you kill, but then like 
you know, Dana Carvey shows up behind you and then John Lovitz and then Chris Tucker drops in and then Dane Cook closes the night out. Well, wait, what, you know, somebody else just, oh, Judd Apatow is going to do 30 minutes and then Adam Sandler's with him. So he might do 20. They don't, they would, you know, they don't remember. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of cats out there who do really, really well. And I've had, you know, friends out there who are in movies and stuff. And I just wanted to be the best performer I could be. You know, I feel very at home on the stage and, and uh, being here has, has kind of given me opportunities I wouldn't have otherwise had to make my own show, develop that, which we've developed all the way up to a, a industry pitch, um, you know, uh, write, have to have time on stage enough to write multiple hours, film multiple DVDs in this town. I've uh, been able to sculpt and write this music show that we've done over the last three, two or two and a half, three years now that's, that's one of the most unique and interesting shows that anybody will ever see. And that's ready to go. I mean, I really feel like I've kind of fleshed my arsenal out by being here. Tell me a little bit more about ghost hopping. How did that get started? (laughs) Really out of, out of, um, watching, I I watch ghost shows, you know, I watched ghost adventures was my favorite. They, I, I hadn't really ever watched them. And I, I was doing a show up in Boise and me and guy went to, uh, the big prison up there. It's haunted. And they, we were like, Hey, is it, you know, is it haunted or whatever? And they were like, yeah, yeah. The guys from ghost adventures came and did it. And they had a DVD of it. And I bought it. I said, Oh cool. I'll be able to see the one of the place that I went to. And I started watching it and I'd see these guys walking around with just pretty simple devices and talking to ghosts, having voices talk right back to them. And I always thought, you know, ghost hunters, is like people walking around and can you knock? And, you know, I, I had never heard of, of, of him, them go, what's your name? Thomas. Okay. Oh, and I thought, well, if it's just that easy to talk to ghosts, then any idiot should be able to do it. I'm any idiot. <laughs> I should be able to do this. So I bought the shit I saw on TV. I went online and I found the stuff and I bought it all. And I went to a graveyard and I sat there and, and I see I'm, I'm at the time I was an atheist. I didn't believe in anything. And I, I sat there in this graveyard with my phone holding this box, asking questions and having some voice say yes, no, bam, boom, have a full-on conversation with me. And it shook me up to the point where like, I couldn't explain it. I, where was this person? How did they see me? What was I? Who was I to them? Do they know they're dead? Are they talking to me? Do, what do they think I am? How do, how do they hear me? What, where? I, it blew my mind. And so it, it, it started this kind of obsession with trying to get more answers and being that I kind of tied in what I do with comedy, uh, you know, that it's kind of the same process. Um, I thought, you know, it would be interesting to have a show that, cause I go everywhere and everywhere I go seems to have a story. Oh man, the bar down the street. Oh, every college you go to our, our theater is haunted. Oh, the dormitory over there is haunted. So I would say, I said, okay, well, what about a show that follows a comedian around and everywhere I go to do comedy, I find a place to ghost hunt. And, I had some shows locally and so we, we, we were up in Ogden and 25th street being the, the paranormal hotspot that it's rumored to be. We thought, okay, great. Let's shoot around the shows. So we just went up to Ogden and started walking down 25th street with a camera, walking into people's places and going, are you haunted? You haunted? Is it haunted in here? And eventually we, we, we lined up some places to shoot and we went back, shot the comedy shows and shot this thing and put it together into a really cool episode of TV. And there was something to it. Um, the idea of, of, kind of having ghost hunting, but from a ton of a tongue in cheek. Cause I, I, you know, I feel like 
when when you're way too serious about it, that's what turns people off. Not the idea of ghosts, but when you're like, is this ball of light the po- proof that the boy who drowned in the well? And you're like, no, it's not. It's not. And you're, the hubris on you to say that it is, 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 is shocking. What you should say is, this isn't a bug, this isn't this, this isn't this. We don't know what it is. It's not my job to define what the afterlife is, but it's my job to at least connect with it. And through my ability to stand on a stage and relate to people, I hope that I can open myself up in that same way and get people to talk to me when I'm in the dark alone, when we have these devices. And, and we've gotten some really amazing stuff. And it's, it's presented in a way that isn't so over the top. It's, it's just really fun. We shoot it kind of guerrilla style, more like a show up and see what we can find. You know, I don't like the whole, I, I, I don't want people to tell me too much about it. I want to kind of fill it out and see if I'm right by myself. You know, it's fun. It's, it's a cool show. It's on YouTube. We just, so far, all we've done is, is we filmed, we've, we've released four episodes. We filmed a few more, but it's really hard because it's, it, the whole show is made by three people, me and two friends who uh, help edit and graphic design. And then I kind of direct and, and write the script. And then they, they, we all put it together. And so it's, it's our own money and our own spare time. So it's just hard to keep up. But uh, I have some cool colleges that have hired me to do comedy shows and ghost hunts around uh, Halloween. So we're going to fly out to Maine and do a tour, uh, kind of a run through Maine and uh, film some ghost hunts with some students at colleges. So we may have some new stuff soon. I've heard great stories of Andy Gold going underneath in Ogden and flipping the fuck out. I've got audio of comics making fun of him. I might have to. Well, downstairs in Ogden is yeah. really, is really scary. Yeah, it's uh, me and yeah, it's, 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 you know, those old, those old buildings are, you know, I mean, they're old. But is it just the dark and dampness of the yeah, concrete? Sometimes. Or is it- uh, here's the thing. I think that, that, I think this stuff is everywhere. I don't like the word haunted. Right. I think that some places are haunted. I think asylums are haunted. Old, old places where people were mistreated. And, and, internment and camps at the University of Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Those places are haunted because you have sadness and death and suffering, broken energy, energy that didn't understand itself when yeah. it was here, let alone understand itself on the other side. But I think all places are active. I think that, you know, energy travels. It's all around us. And, and you know... And Utah has a lot of vortexes, too. There's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, people say, oh, well, it's only where death happened. Death happened everywhere. You're standing on all top of long, death day. everywhere. For millions yeah. of years, death has happened. You know, so... And who? how long do we know how long this stuff takes to dissipate? We don't. So I prefer to kind of call places active, you know, and and... and 25th Street is definitely active. There was a lot of stuff that went down in the old days. And so when you get down there, there's kind of uh, this long tunnels and darkness. And yeah, it's a little creepy, but I don't know. I, I've only encountered mean stuff once, and uh, I think it was kind of my fault. And um, for the most part, I view it like this. I think, I think most ghosts aren't scary. 99% of the people I meet every day are super cool, right? If you're super cool... You're super cool. We all have good vibes, right? right? I don't think that if you shed your body, if you died, the essence of you, that energy, that vibe that you give off, that's what continues on, right? It's not like I'm, when I have a device, I'm talking to heaven. I'm talking to something that inhabits the same dimensional space that I'm in. You know, when something talks to me and asks me a question or answers me, I'm not, I'm not getting somebody who's in heaven or hell I'm I'm talking to something here. I don't know how that works, but I am. And so I feel like like the essence of who we are is what's left behind. And and there's people that are dicks. There's people that just like if you're in a bad mood, right? 
if you're just, your dog knows, right? Like if you're fighting with your wife, your girlfriend, and you're done and there's just tension, your dog will just fuck chill, right? Passive, yeah. Dogs, cat, animals, they know if you're fearful. That that vibe we give off, that feeling, you know, if if somebody kills themselves in a moment of anger and why wouldn't that anger riff stay there? Why wouldn't it stay angry? You know, maybe that maybe it's trapped in that moment of anger. But for the most part, most things just want to talk. They just want to communicate. And that's why I kind of just feel like maybe it's our job to give them the opportunity to talk rather than our job to try to figure out, you know, if they can have a conversation with me, that's awesome. If they can answer some questions for me that I need answered, that's super cool. But otherwise, maybe they don't get an opportunity to talk. And uh, and so that's really what it is. It's just more conversation, you know, more connection. Did your uh, love for horror movies kind of spark this? Because I know on Facebook you talk a lot about horror movies. Oh, yeah. Uh. I, I love horror movies. I think, I think horror movies are probably the purest form of cinema because, uh, you know, they, they can be very emotional. You know, they, they, they make you scream. They make you cry. They make you laugh. They make you do everything, something that other genres of movies don't always do. They're also metaphors for like human emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, and there's, there's multiple kinds. There's the kind of horror movie where you root for the killer and there's the kind where you root for the people. You know, and you get to play both sides of who you are. I mean, nobody goes and sees Friday the 13th to see people survive. I'm not going to go see the Green Inferno so I can see somebody save till the end. I want to see people get eaten. But at the same time, like I'll watch like, I don't know, like The Ring and I'm like, oh, figure it out. What's the mystery? You know, and so they allow you to kind of find these places. And and I, I love that. I love the creativity of 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 practical effects and, and, and how, you know, a lot of horror movies were made by people who said, all right, let's go out and try some shit. Yeah. Carpenter, uh, you know, um, George A. Romero, Craven yeah. Romero, you know, look at the Blair witch, uh, <laughs> things started. These guys just fucking said, let's go make a movie for, for, for a few thousand dollars. Paranormal activity cost $11,000 to make. They made hundreds of millions of dollars because horror can be simple and it can be, it can be just subtle, uh, or it can be wild and over the top and, and, uh, but I, I do, I love horror. I love foreign horror. I think horror translates like I couldn't watch a Japanese comedy, probably not, but I can watch Japanese horror all day, French horror, Korean horror. I love it. I mean, I just, and it's, it's, it's kind of like that part of you that, that, you know, you get to, you get to push yourself a little bit, you know, and say, okay, I'm setting in for something scary. I'm setting in for something. This is at least going to be an experience, you know? So I, I really, I really like the, uh, yeah, I've. I don't know. What What are some of your favorites? Well, gosh, <laughs> I know, right? Like, <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you don't get scared shitless because I do. I, yeah, like, he- <laughs> I watched The Ring with my son's mother when it, in the theater, and I'm convinced that's the reason why we're not together anymore. Because <laughs> I, I was so fucking scared. I went out and smoked cigarettes. I smoked weed. I was like, I can't fucking be in that room. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it with the horror stuff. Like, I can't do it now. I can't do Halloween. I, I enjoy... I don't know. I get that it's a gag. I like to look for the gag. You know, I like to look for it and go... The music doesn't fuck with you? I, I, I feel like it's it's pretty similar to comedy in a way because there's a setup like you yeah. see like where the scare is kind of building. Exactly. 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 That's yeah, why... Well, and I think that, that that's why the best horror always has a tongue-in-cheek element. Evil Dead... 
uh, you can be gory, 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 but it's, it, but we're still kind of silly, you know, um, Scream was a perfect example. The was Romero was perfect yeah. example. That torture porn that came around in the first 2000s, like to me, that was too much. When it was just brutal murder killing with no moment of levity at all, you, it, it's too much. I don't want that. I don't want uh, what like human. I spit on your grave or yeah, like I mean, ugh. yeah, I mean there was there was movies that came out like I I I like to find you know underground horror movies that you know. Uh, independent horror movies and there was just there was some out there that were just they too much um there was this one called murder set pieces where it was just this dude and it was like every five minutes this guy was just i'm gonna go out and find a prostitute and then i'll kill her and then like they only had the movie so that they could show the kills and that's not enough you know you need to you need to have something else and 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 that's i think what the best horror movies do some of my favorites are 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 actually foreign horror um uh, martyrs Mm. From France is one of my favorite films of all time. They're remaking it uh, an American version. I just I hope it's. Ugh. I don't I don't I don't want it to suck. But like the first one is so perfect. There's a great film on Netflix. I'll, I'll think of some stuff that people can watch now called I Saw the Devil. It's brilliant. It's basically the movie that would take place where Seven ended. Yeah. Uh, starts with a killer taking a woman, and then they find her head in a box. And it turns out her father is a police chief and her husband is like this, basically the equivalent of an NSA agent. He's a badass. And so he tries to decide to hunt down the killer. And then when he finds him, he's like, I'll kick the shit out of him and then I'll let you heal and I'll come back and then I'll let you heal. And he just, but how far do you go before doing evil makes you evil? And it's a really, a really stunning question. Same with martyrs. I think it poses a question of, of. Well, I mean, it ends on such a... I, to, to watch Martyrs, it's yeah. a fantastic Yeah, don't film. give away the ending. Um, but, I mean, there's there's a lot of... Attack the Block, great, yeah. Brit, great British film. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of stuff I've seen. What do you think about, like, Old Boy? Like, do you, do I love Old Boy. Old Boy was great. But not, but that's more like... To me, that's, a, that's a, a dramatic thriller that is horrifying in its implication. Whereas I think horror the, of the genre indicates some sort of... Like you said, it's like a joke. It's, it's killer victim this you know mm-hmm. who do we root for or go jason or go uh, run you know there's tropes and set pieces and a supernatural element exactly and yeah yeah there's always that thing where where that's the that's the interesting thing it's like it's like comedy in comedy we have a formula and there's a thousand of us and we all do the formula but it's how we do the formula and some of it is very hacky and some of it is very stupid and silly and other times you're like, that's so brilliant. Let's, and then everybody does that. And that's the same thing with, with horror movies. You know, it's, it's, oh, oh, Jason and Michael Myers. That's how we do it. Great. Okay. So let's make a thousand killers in the woods. Uh, you or, know. or like the ring with a little girl. Now right. there's a ghost there's little girl a in ghost everything. ghost little girl in everything. Yeah. It's, it's what Cabin in the Woods pointed out so well uh. is that, that we have all these horrors that we're just waiting and we're just plugging them into the same formula but it's it's the method with which we do it and and so that's that's really what it comes down to is the details of that you know it's the same thing we do in in when with ghost hopping i have to take 9 10 hours of footage and edit it down into a 45 minute cohesive narrative story and it's it's a yeah i mean it's it's a son of a bitch to be able to do it but but you want to it's how we do it what do we have a certain flair are we telling a story in a way that isn't you know too uh i don't know it doesn't rip off anybody
and spend your life in sin and misery in the house of the rising sun. There is a house in Newbridge. They call the rising sun, and it's been the ruin of many poor boys and me. Oh Lord, I'm.